This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Robbie. Welcome, Robbie. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm good. Awesome. Nice to be here. <laughs> so good to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this. So um, why don't you just start at the beginning, back us up, let us know first drink, early days, early interactions with alcohol, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, while I was getting ready for this, I became aware that it's been a while since I've bared my soul, which I have no problem doing. Um, but there's, you know, I've been alcohol free for 18 months and the longer it goes, the more things make sense to me and, and things I discover that I can relate to alcohol and going way back, right? It's like I became an impartial observer of my life and I could look at everything without the shame and the guilt um, and understand so much. So that's been, that's been everything for me, actually. Um, but as far as my alcohol story, so I'm going to look at my notes because I tend to be a real yapper and I don't want to <laughs> get too far oh, off. We've got, we've got time. So, <laughs> okay. so um, yeah, in high school and college, I did not drink much. Um, and I, when I did, I got sick really easily. So I would go just huge chunks of time without even just being afraid to, to do it because I, I was like violently ill. Um, and what I have realized in thinking back to that time frame that I can't believe I never actually made the connection with, but I also, I've been married almost, it'll be 30 years in November. And I met my husband when I was 13, when I was um, in junior high. And then we went through high school together and we stayed together through college and he never drank. Um, he just did not drink. Um, didn't, he was super clean. So wait, you met and stayed with him since you were 13? Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just like sitting here thinking, I have an 11 year old who's been quite serious about a girl. And I just, in my mind, I'm like, never gonna, ha-, you know, so. Yeah, kind of- let's say I don't advise it, but it worked out all right. So, and what I have discovered has been super powerful me, powerful for me with my marriage. So, you know, he never drank. Um, and I had this group of girlfriends and, and we were all partiers, but I spent most of my time with him. So I think that that's one of the big reasons why I, I didn't drink much in high school. And then in college, I, I didn't do so well in college. I ended up dropping out a lot and moving back home. And I had some real anxiety and depression and like drinking just wasn't part of the equation. Um, the other thing I realized, <laughs> which just made me like fall in love with my husband again, is that probably around when I was 15 or 16, um, he took me out to dinner. He was a couple years older than I was. And um, I got up the courage to talk to him about my, my house and what it was like in my house. And, and as far as I understood it, like I, I hadn't spoken with anyone about it, but I knew that my dad drank tons and that it made me really sad and frustrated. And I had these these girlfriends I had been friends with for years and I had four older siblings, but I had never spoken with anybody about it. And, you know, knowing my husband, like I do now, I think it was because I felt safe and I felt unjudged and um, he didn't try to fix anything and he didn't have any ideas, but he just listened to me. Beautiful. And after a few 
of these discussions and they didn't happen a lot, but I would bring it up when I needed to. And I'm not gonna, I know, I can't, I'm not gonna tell his story on here, but, but he shared with me um, his own story growing up. And so we had this bond around that, which um, I think explains why we stayed, part of it, why we stayed together. There was- so Was that really young? That was like early, wow, very cool. Yeah, there was this trust there um, and this respect there. And not to say, you know, it's all been great, it surely hasn't, but it, it, it put a new twist on that early relationship for me. Um, so yeah, I've never talked to anybody about that except him. And it just started making sense to me um, in the last year. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, let me flip my page here. Um, so we got married. I got married when I was 22 and I had my first child when I was 24 and I had three kids by the time I was 29. And so my 20s, I didn't drink either. Like I just was pregnant or breastfeeding or just, I, it just wasn't in, it wasn't on my radar yet. I would drink occasionally when we went out, I would drink like, I think the first thing I started drinking was like white Zinfandel because it was super sweet or something like, you know, I don't know. Um, but it wasn't a thing. Um, and then in my 30s, I started drinking more, um, more socially. I would go on these trips. My husband was great. He would watch the kids and I would go on these trips with my girlfriends, which were drunk fests. Um, and, you know, I'm a puker. I just feel like every, every time I drink, I got sick. And so for a while that would, that would help me stay away from it. But I started drinking more in my thirties. I wasn't having any more kids. Um, and I, I can go back to this time in my thirties when my oldest daughter, she was six at the time. Um, she got, she got really sick. And, and when I say really sick, she had this, this, weird condition and it's called precocious puberty. I don't know if you know anything about it, but mm -hmm. basically hormones out of control. And there can be a, it can be a pituitary gland thing. It can be due to other things. But in her case, she had this um, six, her six year old birthday party. It was, she was into ballet at the time. We had a ballet birthday party and they all had leotards on. And I remember looking at her thinking, <laughs> hope this is okay to say, she has little breast buds. And I was like, what, you know, cause she was thin. And I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? Um, and she actually had her six-year checkup right after that, and I brought it up to the doctor. And so not to, not to get too far into this, but she had precocious puberty. And one of the causes is um, sometimes little girls, for whatever reason, they start to have cysts on their ovaries. And the cysts cause the ovaries to produce massive amounts of hormones, which mimic puberty, right? She was six years old. And so... They basically told me, we, you know, I live in Western Massachusetts, we went to Boston, we went to these specialists, that she had to have that ovary removed, and maybe the other one too. And I can remember being in the hospital, I had gone alone with her to get an ultrasound, and it was a snowy day, and I was just like hell-bent on getting there so that I could figure out what was going on. And I remember them telling me this and thinking, for lack of better words, I think I said to myself, I can't, I, I can't, I feel like I can't do this. Like up until then, I just had to take care of myself and my kids, you know, were babies and I was doing all right, but this was just like different. And, um, you know, I don't know if I went and bought a bottle of wine that night and brought it home, but it's the beginning of what I saw as like um, me saying to myself over and over again, you can't do this. And there was no other voice coming in and saying you can. And I know that if I had said this to someone else, they would have said all the right things, but I don't think I, they would have heard me. I think it was just my rising anxiety. Um, and I 
I started drinking in my 30s. That's when I started drinking at home. Um, and again, not every day or not every night. I never drank in the day. It was at night and never, not usually to excess unless I was out with my girlfriends. Um, never did that with my husband. Um, and, and that was my 30s. And then it's like when my 40s hit, make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah, when my 40s hit, it was like kapow, everything, everything blew up. So in 2009, I would have been 41, I had the last of what was a major bout of depression. I, it's probably my fourth since I was a teenager. I, I literally didn't get out of bed. Um, and this is even with, with three kids that it had happened a couple times. And um, this time, I, it was so bad. I, I, I think my anxiety was so high all the time. I, it was my normal. I crashed. I crashed. Like I physically and mentally, I crashed and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, and I said that to my husband. I actually, I didn't say it to my husband. I was a nurse and I got off my shift and I called my sister. It was a hot August afternoon. And I called her and I said, I can't do this. And she, um, she jumped into action and she started communicating with my husband. I think it's really interesting that I didn't, I didn't call him. I think it's because he was home with the three kids and I knew that yeah, I was sparing him. I don't know. But anyway, she, she jumped into action and then the two of them together and, and I wanted this. I, I ended up spending a week on a psych ward. Um, it was just, it was like time slowed down and I just was there. And I remember sitting in this room it's just like a couple couches alone and there were these old books on the table and I've always been a big reader. I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> and one of them was about anxiety and I started reading it and I was like, and I read it cover to cover um, over like two days. And one of the social workers there, when I, when I left, said he had noticed and he talked to me about it. And so I started to understand anxiety. I started to under, understand like generalized anxiety disorder. You know, they had been throwing around things like bipolar two and all this other stuff. And, and when I left that hospital, it was the beginning of me sort of not just asking for help, but advocating for myself mm. um, and going to therapists and saying, I don't want to be on lithium. They had put me on lithium. Um, I don't, think I need to be on lithium. This is what I think. Can I try this? And, and luckily I had, I had a therapist out of the hospital that was, she listened and we tried different things. And, and so that time frame, basically 10 years, um, was the beginning for me of, of a lot of different kind of work. I'd always been to therapy, but it was different kind of therapy. Um, and, you know, I still continue to do all the things that you think are going to make you better exercising. I, I've been a vegetarian for 19 years, you know, tried all the things, um, but not only didn't look at alcohol, but didn't, it didn't really register right away that it, that was something I, abs I absolutely had to deal with. And so that was in the 40s. And then I'm kind of just on, a, I'm just on autopilot and I'm drinking more and more at home. Not a lot when I go out, I would kind of arrange it so that I could have one glass out and then, you know, I'd either drink before or after. And then, um, so 2000, let's see, 
2016, yeah, to 19, 2016 to 2019, like a snapshot of my life was um, a mom whose last child had left home, um, gone off to college. And so that focus was gone, right? And I had a job where I really liked the people that I worked with, but the, the environment as a whole was not healthy and I was really unhappy there. I was only working part-time and so I was home alone a lot and my first career had been as a journalist and I've always been a news junkie and so I was picture me sitting on my couch with my dog and the tv on and I was watching the 24-hour news cycle and my anxiety was just building and building and building and I was I was pouring glass of wine after glass of wine and it's in that time frame that I knew like this can't be good <laughs> <laughs> this can't be good. You're drinking this much wine in the middle of the day and, and watching news on repeat and you're not doing anything to make anything better, right? But I kept watching the news. I tried to explain this to my husband, looking for some sort of external cue, something external that somebody was going to say or something was going to happen that was going to make me feel better. And then I could move on, right? And I did that for a couple of years and my drinking got worse and worse and worse. And so then enter February, 2019. And um, so in my town, there's, there's a city council and I've always been into politics and I've served on small boards and things like that, but never anything very demanding. I decided to run for city council. Um, and so I put my name in the hat and I was interviewed by the paper and it was in the paper and I got awesome feedback. I started lining up people that wanted to work with me and thinking about my issues, starting meeting with people I'd never met just to learn more. And that lasted two weeks. And um, I woke up one morning and I called my sister again. <laughs> I said, I can't do this. Um, I can't do this. Like, I like every part of me is screaming, I can't do this. Um, and so she was super supportive and she said, then don't. And so I had to do the humiliating, you know, task of calling the newspaper and saying, I'm pulling out and then asking why. And I used my mother as a cover. <laughs> it wasn't all entirely untrue, but I had been taking care of her for four years. I was her primary caretaker. She didn't live with me, but I was there all the time. It was getting more demanding. So it was really easy for me to say to them and to myself, this is too much right now, right? Mm -hmm. And so another six weeks, eight weeks went by and I was miserable. I was, I had never felt so stuck. Um, but it's also where I can see sort of the first hints of like a little bit of compassion coming in. Like I was saying to myself, you know, yeah, you're not doing this because of mom, but you're not doing this because of something else too, um, that has to come first. And I, I knew it was alcohol. I hadn't done much, you know, I never, I never Googled, am I an alcoholic? I never, I thought about all these things, but basically in my head, the starting place was going to be, might have to be AA. And so I literally parked my car outside of a few meetings um, and just watched and thought, and then started doing a little research on AA and never got out of my car and went in for a number of reasons, um, and <laughs> I'm not a huge believer in fate or anything. I think I was super ripe, ripe. I was looking for something. I didn't know what it was, but I saw the alcohol experiment. Um, it was on 
the feed of this woman I followed for her news reporting because it was just basic news. I didn't feel like there was a lot um, out there for me that just, she was a lawyer and she would put this kind of just lawyerly spin on it and it seemed to help me. And then I see that she's doing the alcohol experiment, right? And I was like, oh, wow. And I didn't write it down or anything, but I def it definitely registered. Um, so much so that I don't think more than a day or two went by where I Googled it. And I found it and that was on a Saturday and I signed up and I started the next day, which was Easter Sunday. And I knew I was going out with my family and we all drink a lot. My in-laws, you know, it's like, I'm gonna drink. Um, and I did it and I did the 30 days and I, um, I never drank again. And I mean, there was a few months after that where it definitely, I've said before, I felt like I was operating on a place of fear. Like I was more afraid to drink than I wasn't, which was not ideal, but it was okay. Cause it got me through all these firsts. It got me through my brother's daughter's wedding. And you know, my husband and I had date night, all these date nights that revolved around alcohol. He's only ever had one or two, but you know, for me, when we would go out to dinner, it'd be like, I'm going to have one and I want to have a second, but I don't want to get a headache so, and I want to have some at home. So I'll ask him if he'll split one with me. We've been through this all the time. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll split one with you. And then he would start to drink it and I would pull it back. You know, it was just this game I played for years. Um, but I, um, I just got all the firsts and I, and I, you know, I, at some point it, it, it couldn't have been more than, than three or four months into it. I just, I said to my husband, I don't think, I'm going to drink again. Mm. Um, and that is, that is my alcohol story. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like in hindsight now, because hindsight is so great, there's like this, I talk about this trifecta of what the three points of, of what is the most meaningful to me. And so of course it's me. It's like sort of, you know, what I managed to do and and the trajectory of it. Um, and it's funny, my husband was um, interviewing someone for a position and one of the questions um, that they asked this person, I thought it was so strange, but he said it was actually amazing. They gave him 15 minutes in the room by himself and asked him to write down what his, his best accomplishment was, right? Wow. And just to see what they came up with. And, um, and we were actually talking about this at dinner last night. I asked him what his would be and he asked me and I said, stopping drinking. Like I actually, you know, I never, if you had asked me even, you know, 18 months ago, I would have said, I don't think it's going to happen. And if it happens, I'm probably not going to be a happy person. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so there's me, the big point. And then another point is um, just this newfound compassion for my father and my childhood and everybody I know who drinks, whether they have a problem or not. Um, like it just makes so much sense. And it, and it never did. And I just wanted it to make sense when I was a kid. I just wanted someone to explain it to me, right? And then the third point is my kids. And, you know, I, I think about all the years I drank, you know, while I raised them and, and feeling like I did so many things wrong. It's been able, you know, pretty quickly I was able to realize that I used to tell my therapist that my kids are great despite me, not because of me. Like, how are they so great? Like, how does this happen? Because it can't be because of me. And so I have a, you know, a new appreciation of my mothering <laughs> alongside drinking, right? 
and um, the fact that they're in their 20s. And I, another thing that I, I know was driving me, but that I wasn't super aware of, although I can put myself back there and feel the feelings, was you, before I started to do this, especially the holidays, right before this started, so like you know, four months before I did the experiment, I was super aware of that they were all of drinking age and we were with families on both sides and uh, a Christmas party and then Christmas Eve and then Christmas day. And it all revolved around drinking and everybody was drinking together and I was super uncomfortable. Mm. And I didn't wanna be a parent who drinks with their kids. I didn't wanna go hang out at bars with my kids and I didn't wanna get drunk with my kids on a holiday. And how could I possibly talk to them about this if I didn't know what I was talking about? And so, yeah, they're 22, 25, and 27. They drink. I know they drink less. They ask me tons of questions. Um, one of my daughters was a bartender in Chicago for a few years, and she used to make mocktails for pregnant women, and she comes home and drinks them with me, makes these amazing mocktails. Um, and, and I feel like that's the greatest gift of all this is, is you know, not just my kids, but like, the next generation and having a different way to understand alcohol. That's so great. That's amazing. So, um, so one of the things that you said early on in your story that I just wanted to circle back to because I, I found it really interesting is the first time when you reached out to your sister uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, your husband was home with the three kids <clears throat> and you just kind of you're like, I don't know why I reached out to my sister, but I think because he had the kids, I didn't want to bother him. And I just wanted to recognize that, like, I felt that a lot in my marriage too, where when you feel, when you enter into this parenting, which is so many people's drinking story, by the way, it's those years of parenting that are so intense and that we're not exactly prepared for, because how can you ever prepare? Mm -hmm. And they're so busy. And then the one support person at least for me, like you see that they're doing, they're running just as fast as you can. You're running just as fast as you can. And on both sides, you kind of sit here and say like, well, not going to add anything else to your plate. So whereas you used to be the one person I would go to for everything support, like I, I don't even feel comfortable and it's not even conscious. It's just now that I'm unraveling that I've done this for the last, I don't know, decade or so where like, well, why didn't you go to your husband? Well, because gosh, he has everything going on too. He's also involved with like this madhouse of a family and these kids and everything's going crazy. So like, I don't, I don't want to be one more thing he has to worry about, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that goes hand in hand with mental health. You know, I used to not want to talk to him about how anxious or depressed I was because I didn't want to put that on his plate because he was working 12 hours a day and coming home and being a pretty good dad, you know? And, and so, yeah, figure this out. I have to figure this out. I have to figure this out myself. I mean, he never asked that of me, you know? I right. did that and, myself. And I don't think they want that either. I mean, to be yeah. honest with you, at least in my journey with my husband, because like, I think he's very different than me. He can quite honestly handle all my anxiety because it doesn't trigger or scare him. Whereas if I was going to bring it to like my mom, she would be, she would take the worry that I was feeling and amplify it. My husband, if I was going to bring it to him, he'd be like, okay. Let's what are we going to do about it? <laughs> How are we going to fix it? You know what I mean? So it'd be point. very different yeah. Yeah. thing, which I just, it's just been interesting for me when I heard you say it, because I feel like that's really been a ha for me and my kids are 11, nine and three. 
-hmm. And it has been a big aha that one of the things we haven't wanted to do is to just add anything else to each other's plate. And you think you're doing it from this place of, I mean, I think we are genuinely doing it from a place of kind of, you know, respect and, and trying to be helpful, but I don't think it's at all helpful because you get married to do life with this person and, you know, you need to be there for each other, which is interesting. It just kind of yep. popped into my head as you were saying that. Yeah. Mm. The other thing that I wanted to circle back to is you said, um, you were talking about drinking in college and you said, but it wasn't a thing. And I was just curious, Robbie, of your opinion, like when is it a thing? When does it become a thing from your point of view? For me? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's my early thirties. I think it's um, when the kids were, yeah, you know, six, four and one and and it just built through my 30s that's when I feel like it that was that's when I can see it starting and and obviously it's this slow slippery slope you know and like I say it wasn't every day but it, it that's when it changed from occasional social drinking to using it at home to if I was tired because god knows I have five hours ahead of me I can't be tired right or I was stressed about one of my kids being sick or I was mad at my husband because he had all these evening meetings and I was doing it alone. It served multi, you know, multi purposes. Um, yeah. Yeah. The thirties is when it, it became my thing. Yeah. If you were going to, um, you know, help somebody recognize for them, is it a thing or not a thing? Mm -hmm. is, there, is there any guideposts that you would, would give or? Yeah, when it becomes something that you um, look forward to, um, when it becomes something that you start thinking about long before you do it, mm -hmm. um, when it becomes something that makes you feel better even thinking about it. Um, you know, before that, it was like if we went out to dinner and there was alcohol there, I might get a glass of wine. But if there was no alcohol there, I didn't care. I was there for dinner. Um, but we stopped going to restaurants. I would refuse to go to restaurants if they didn't have alcohol because you oh, know yeah. what point, um, when you start, you know, when you start building your day around it, mm -hmm. um, and that can be really hard to see when it's, you know, you think it's just a part of your day, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, when it becomes, I guess for me, it was, it was really when it wasn't just the glass of wine that was enjoyable. It was, it was, as soon as it popped into my head, it was something I anticipated and looked forward to. And by God, I was going to have it, even if I had to, you know, throw all the kids in the car and on the, you know, saying we we're going to get one thing, but I was actually getting another kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, but that's easy for me to say now because I, you know, I'm, I don't, my awareness around it then was not there, right. but yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I definitely remember um, one specific time we were living in New York city and we went to an Indian restaurant and somebody had recommended it and they thought it was so great. And of course, you know, I don't know if it was back then or it's still the case, but a lot of Indian restaurants in New York city, they don't believe in alcohol or drinking. Mm -hmm. So they don't, 
get their liquor license. And so we went in and I remember being like, oh, wait, like just looking at the menu and then asking and then being like, so you don't sell any alcohol? <laughs> and right? being what a bummer. bummed. Yeah, it was such a bummer. And the food was amazing. Right. Then we found out that you could bring your own bottle. Oh, yeah. So the next time we went back, we would bring our own bottle. And I remember going back because it was phenomenal food. So it was in Brooklyn. And I remember going back and like planning ahead. And once meeting friends there and not having remembered a bottle and then having to like be like oh we'll be right back and you know going down to the liquor store the bodega a few blocks yeah. away just to find yeah. something and it, it really was I, I love how you describe it like you're just starting to plan things around drinks you know it becomes very central very central from the minute you wake up whether it's that you're not going to drink that night or it's that you are and you're going to drink differently or that it's oh screw it I'm just going to drink as much as I want. It's one of the three yeah. <laughs> every single morning. Yeah. 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 So yeah. good. So, um, so since you did the alcohol experiment, you have, um, we've, we've met each other now in person and everything. Cause you joined the coach certification training. So what motivated that? You know, it's like, it was my city council come to life. Like it was me wanting, I always wanted to do something that was like bigger than me to do something proactive or positive, right? Um, I had parents like that, that you know, were, were really into giving back to the community. Um, and my husband is like that. And, and I couldn't do that until I filled myself up, right? Um, and then I was just like, wow, like this is, this is something that will not only <laughs> change people's lives profoundly, but it will make the world a better place because when you become alcohol free, you discover what your gifts are and what you can give back. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's feeling like I'm doing something proactive in this world is everything to me. Mm -hmm. so, so good. Yeah. We've been doing really cool stuff. Do you want to share any of the stuff that you're kind of doing, especially for the New Englanders? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, in the fall and the winter before COVID hit, I had local workshops that um, I partnered with a woman down who owns a shop downtown and we went through the alcohol experiment and that was really great. That was getting my feet wet, um, but it went super well. And I wanted to do more of those, but that's been, you know, shut down for now. And I have amazing one-on-one -on -one clients. You know, I started off looking for people like me that were empty nesters. Um, and I have worked with women like that, but just, you know, fortune has it that other people have reached out that have been, you know, I have, I have a woman in her twenties, a woman in her thirties, um, two older men and a bunch of women. And it's been, that has been amazing for me because I, I, I just kind of did an about face and I was like, I, I'll work with anybody who wants to learn about themselves, learn from others, um, and has like a broad view of the world and wants to make it better. And that's it. That's my criteria. And that's all that, you know, I don't need anything else. And we just have this thing in common. Right. And so that's been awesome. Um, I've been doing some work on the path, which has been amazing. And then, yeah, I live in New England, so I've lived in Massachusetts my whole life. And we also um, recently um, got a place up in Portland, Maine, 
I love New England and I love local connections. You know, I love my small community, but I knew that this group existed. It was started by someone who's gone through this naked mind. And so I've been talking with her about having more of a presence and just offering um, free Zoom calls, which we've done two weeks in a row now um, for a couple people that are going through the live alcohol experiment, a couple other people that just pop on to offer what they've learned um, or just testing the water. And so that's been great because there's just like no agenda on those. I love those because if it lasts 15 minutes, great. If it lasts an hour, great. But um, they've both been really super. So I'm just kind of nourishing that. And uh, that's awesome. yeah, and so that's so where I'm at. Any major speed bumps in your journey in terms of like pressure from family or friends or social life mm. or your kids or has it been pretty good? No pressure from family whatsoever. Tons of support from my husband and my kids. Um, you know, my family, my, uh, my four siblings and a few of them are quite a bit older than I am. And I, you know, actually, you know, two of my sisters, they don't drink for different reasons and my, my brothers do, but they're just, they're not interested, which is fine. Um, and then I have my close friends and, you know, the reactions from them have, run the gamut but overall super positive um i can't really think of any uh, honestly i can't think of of anything that comes to mind where i was sort of disappointed by someone's response or put off by someone's response um and maybe that's just because i've come to learn that like all the responses you get are totally normal for that person right yeah. um but no i can't i can't think of anything that I can't think of any speed bumps other than, you know, I mean, there's been tons of challenges. My mom passed away in March. And so that was like, wow. I, you know, I lived with her for three weeks while she was on hospice. And then I was super aware that I would have been drinking every night and had to be up with her every two hours and how miserable that would have been and how I would not have been there for her, like just in body. Um, so that was huge. Um, and and, you know, my kids all came home after being gone for six months or five months in March. And that was sort of a little bit of hell, <laughs> especially after you've been alone for a while and figured things out. But again, super aware of like how it was a moment in time and how I wanted to show up. And, um, That's great. and so, yeah, definite challenges, but met, met so differently. Yeah. That's so great. Um, so in terms of uh, like, I guess, wrapping things up a little bit, mm -hmm. um, I, first of all, I'm curious where, where can people find you? So if they want to learn more about you or get involved. Yep. yep. So my website is called a sanerway.com. So my name is Robbie Saner Sullivan and Saner is my maiden name. It's, it's perfect. So it's a sanerway.com. I love that. And there's all my info on there and a link if if anybody's wants to get in touch. That's so great. That's so great. Um, I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about, you know, this podcast specifically, but your storytelling. So I just want to thank you for like the details, you know, the details about even the books when you're, when you're sitting there and in, in the, um, in the psych ward and the details about what was going on with your daughter and stuff. I think it's, it's so profound, that level of vulnerability and just bringing us into your world. So I really appreciate that. Oh, and thank you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you too. So to uh, the final question, which I'm sure you know about, but 
if you're going to go back and, you know, talk to Robbie, who was on the couch and just with 24 hour news feed looking, I, I personally call that the Rapunzel syndrome because I'm in it frequently in my life and I have to catch myself and be like, I'm looking for somebody to rescue me. <laughs> like I need rescue. Yeah. And then my friends and I joke because I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready to climb down my own hair. Like it's right? just our little code word, like, all right, I'm going to rescue hair. myself. Nobody's coming. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sure they're going to get me a t-shirt hashtag <laughs> my own hair or something. <laughs> it's like becomes such a thing, but I'm like, oh no. It, the, the funny thing about what I call the Rapunzel syndrome is you don't know you're in it when you're in it. Uh, you literally, it's the moment when you realize you're waiting to be rescued that you actually have the capacity to rescue yourself. So it's one of those things. But anyway, so if we go back to Robbie's, Robbie's feed wine on the couch Rapunzel syndrome, what would you, what would you tell yourself about what life is like now and, and some of the incredible things you've done? What would I tell myself? Um, <laughs> you know, all those cliche things that are so true. Like it's, it's, it's not only too late for you, but it's not too late for you to, to be an even better mother. Um, it's not too late for you um, to not feel angry all the time. Um, it's not, it's not too late to have all the work you've done, especially in the last 10 years, make sense and be worth something. Um, I'm not quite sure if I answered your question enough. I love it. I mean, and I think the city council thing was just like my way actually, you know, of setting myself up to have to do something differently. So, you know, I'm really thankful for that experience now because I still don't know what I would have done if I hadn't found the alcohol experiment. <laughs> Honestly, like that's, I always go back to that, but I'd like to think that I, I do, I do know I would have, I do, I, I, cause I'm not afraid to ask for help and I am not afraid to be vulnerable and I do advocate for myself. I would have found something, but I question how long it would have taken and, and how much bumpier it would have gotten. So yeah, oh, super, so glad. super grateful for that book. Yeah, I'm so glad. That's so glad. So yeah, um, the alcohol experiment. In case anybody's wondering what it is, it is a book, but it's also a website at alcoholexperiment.com where it is always free and you can go through it at your own pace. Um, daily videos and just a mindset shift to take a break and write patterns. Well, I, I did the free self-guided one. That's what I did. I didn't. Oh, so I didn't buy the book until much later, and I didn't even read *The Snake in Mind* until like several months later. It was that was just it. That was it for me. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. that's at alcoholexperiment.com. It will always be there and always be free for people looking to change, change or just, you know, get some more insight. Um, so it's great. Well, thank you so much, Robbie. This has really been, been fun and an honor. And again, I really appreciate your, your vulnerability and leaning into the story. It's really beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. That was, that was good. <laughs> really nice to see Very you. Good. Did a good thing. Okay. All right. Let me ask you a question. 
What is better than change? <laughs> Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.